We're devoting this Advent season to worship. And we've all heard and said ourselves uh, that worship for the Christian should be applied to all aspects of our life. That's because everything we do, we are called to glorify God. So whether you eat or drink, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And while glorifying God in all that we do is what we're called to do, it's a very broad subject, a broad topic. So today I'd like to focus on something a little different. To focus on worship, not in all we do, though we're called for that, but to focus on worship in the corporate setting, like we are this morning, Sunday mornings, when we gather together to worship and praise our great God. I want to focus today on worship in the sense of the music and the words that we direct toward God as we assemble together the way we are this morning. Wayne Gruden, who wrote a, a, a wonderful systematic theology when it comes to worship in this manner, he says this. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices in our hearts. In other words, what he's saying is it's an act of glorifying God when we enter into his presence. When we're conscious and adoring of him in our hearts. And when we praise him with our words, when we praise him with our voices, speaking and singing about him so that others might hear. That's important. When we praise God, when we worship God in this setting, we're doing so so that others might hear about him. The New Testament extols uh, the virtues of assembling together in worship. Paul writes in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This viewpoint is not just found in the New Testament, though. It has its roots in the Old Testament. Uh, many of you remember the movie, uh, The Ten Commandments, when Charlton Heston would go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. 
I can still picture that very nice manicured long beard he had. Let my people go. But that's only half of what scripture says. It says, let my people go in Exodus so that they may go into the desert and worship me. Edmund Clowney, he's a, uh, a theologian who passed away in 2005, but he wrote this about that passage. God brings them out that he might bring them in, into his assembly, to the great company of those who stand before his face. God's assembly at Sinai <clears throat> is therefore the immediate goal of the Exodus. God brings his people into his presence that they might hear his voice and worship him. This act in Exodus was a covenant-making ceremony, one in which the claim of God upon his people and the claim of the people upon their God would be ratified in worship. In this, it's illustrated the overarching theme of Scripture. And I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. That's a statement that we find 43 times in Scripture, over 15 different books. That I will be their God, and they will be my people. It indicates the greatest blessing we have. The greatest blessing is our unhindered fellowship with God himself. Where God is the, where, where the goal of it is God's covenant, God with us, which is what we celebrate in this season. Jesus being born. In the flesh. It's God with us. It's the picture. It's the tapestry that we're looking at. That makes all of this. Our salvation possible. It's achieved. Through Christ coming in the flesh. And dwelling. With us and being our God, and we being his people. In fact, evangelically speaking, the gospel call is a call to worship. When we talk about the gospel, it's a call to worship. When we extol the gospel, when we tell the gospel to people, it's a call to worship. To turn from sin and to call upon the name of the Lord. In our worship in Christ's church, we approach the throne of God and who is the judge of all. We enter the festival assembly of the saints and the angels. We gather in spirit with the spirits of just men 
made perfect. We enter the assembly of glory through Christ our mediator and the blood of his atoning death. We heard Pastor Jared pray of this when during the offering when he mentioned that it's not just us worshiping. We are worshiping in concert with a multitude of angels, uncounted, a multitude of the saints who have gone before us, all worshiping together. Corporate worship, assembling together, is a huge, huge thing that God desires and wants. So when we look at worship, the subject of worship, biblically, when we look at it historically, and we will look at it evangelistically, it turns out that assembling for worship of our God in the New Testament church today is not optional. It's a command. The writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Worshiping together is not optional for us. We all know people who profess to be Christians, maybe friends, or maybe relatives who don't attend church. This is something they're not doing. They're, do, they're, they're deciding to take an option that is not biblical. And when we worship God in this way, when we worship him rightly, when we assemble together to worship in our singing, you know, with our voices, adoring him in our hearts as we do it, a number of amazing things happen. The results of right worship. What are they? We talk here, and it's true. Our purpose here is to glorify God and give good to his people. What do we get? What benefit when we praise and worship our God, there's a benefit to us too. And what is that benefit? There's a few of them. I'm just, there's many of them actually. I'm just going to go over a few of them today. First off, when we engage in right worship, we delight in God. God created us not just to glorify him, but to also enjoy him. Westminster Larger Catechism, which is a, a 16th century systematic theology, if you will, 
It says this. It has its first question. Above all other of the questions. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. So one of the benefits we receive when we rightly worship the Lord is we delight in him. We enjoy him. We probably experience this delight in God more fully in worship than in any other activity that we do. So many people, and myself included, when we do what we did here a few minutes ago, especially this time of year, when we worship the Lord with our songs, when we worship the Lord with our voices, we enjoy that. We delight in that. Psalm 27, David writes this. One thing I ask, I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David desired worship above so many things. He also wrote this in Psalm 16. In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we rightly worship our Lord, we delight in him. Even Asaph in Psalm 73 wrote this. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So when we worship, one of the benefits we receive is we delight in Christ. We desire God. And the other side of that coin is that when we worship and praise him, when we engage in right worship to him, God delights in us. Just as creation glorifies God, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Creation extols the virtues of God. But just as creation does that, so God does that. The Lord also takes delight in his creation. We think back to Genesis 1. After creation, God looked around and he, and he saw it was good. In other words, he liked what he saw. He was delighting in it. He loves his creation. 
And God takes special delight in those, in those whom he has created and redeemed, meaning us. Of all the creatures, of all creation, we are the ones who he singled out to redeem. We are the ones who he has breathed the breath of life into. We are the ones who he has created individually. Where in creation time when he created the animals, he created them in mass. Us, he created one and then another. Each one of us, individually, God takes delight in and has chosen to redeem those who he takes delight in. Isaiah 62, Isaiah writes this. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. For the Lord delights in you. He delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And we are the bride. Amen? He delights over us. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst. Amen? The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let us be greatly encouraged by all this. Let us realize that as we love God and praise him, we are bringing joy and delight to the one whom he loves. Thirdly, when we engage in right worship, we draw near to God. In the Old Testament, believers could only draw near to God in very limited circumstances, and then only through a priest. But now, under this new covenant of grace, we have an amazing privilege that those before us never had. We're able to enter directly into the presence of God, the one who we worship. The writer of Hebrews says this, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith. In his systematic theology that I referred to earlier, Wayne Gruden writes this concerning the worshiping privilege 
we have in the New Testament church. He writes, worship in the New Testament church is not simply practice for some later heavenly experience of genuine worship, nor is it simply pretending or going through some outward activities. It is genuine worship. Genuine worship in the presence of God himself. And when we worship, we enter before his throne. What a gracious benefit that we've been gifted. And if we believe scripture to be true, we must also believe it to be true that we ourselves enter in and join our voices with those already singing in heaven whenever we come to God in worship. Our only appropriate response is this. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Remember the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. They weren't to approach the mountain. They weren't to touch the mountain, lest they be consumed. Our Lord is a consuming fire. We're called to worship Him rightly. Not the way we want to, but the way He wants to be worshipped. And He gives that information in his scriptures. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And also, when we engage in right worship, God draws near to us. We draw near to God, but he also draws near to us. In the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4.8. And this has been the pattern of the Lord's dealings with us, with mankind throughout redemptive history. And because of that, we should be confident that it will be true today and going forward. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if he's done things in the past for reasons, his reasons, we should expect that he would do the same type of thing today and going forward tomorrow. Second Chronicles it recounts how when God's people began to praise during the dedication of the temple, he made himself known to them. He brought himself to their midst. And while this is only one incident in scripture, it does not seem wrong to suppose that he would not do the same thing again. In, but in different ways. It may not be visible. It may not be audible. 
But like right now, he is in our midst. He is here. Though we may not see him, some of us, through his word, we hear him. His presence is made known through scripture. His presence is made known in our hearts as we sing and worship him. Then also when we engage in right worship, God ministers to us. Although the primary purpose is to glorify God, we as his people also reap the benefit that we ourselves are built up and edified through worship. When we worship God, he meets with us directly and he ministers to us. He strengthens our faith. He intensifies their awareness of his presence. He grants refreshment to our spirits. Those of you who are tired, burn out, with the troubles of today, a service that we hold on Sundays when we gather together should be refreshment for you, a refreshment to your spirit. Scripture tells us that as we continually come to him in praise and worship, we are being built up as a spiritual house. Peter tells us we're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're being built up. We're being edified. We're being strengthened. We're being refreshed. He will give us mercy and we will find grace to help in time of need, Hebrews tells us. We're being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. As we are sanctified, as we worship, we are edified, but we are also being sanctified. We're being brought closer and closer and closer and closer to his image. And next, when we engage in right worship, God's enemies flee. When the Israelites began to worship, God at times would fight for them. We see that in 2 Chronicles 20. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. 
who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Similarly, today, when God's people offer him praise and worship, we might expect that the Lord will battle against the demonic forces that oppose the gospel. And cause those forces to flee. And lastly, when we engage in right worship, unbelievers know they are in the presence of God. When we sing, when we stand, when we raise our hands, folks who are in this assembly who don't know Christ they realize something's happening God is present here well scripture does not emphasize evangelism as the primary purpose of assembling together Paul does indicate that we should take care regarding unbelievers and outsiders. So they will be convicted. 1 Corinthians 14. So they will be convicted, called into account, and declare that God is really among you. And that's what we do here at Bethany. We seek to glorify God and bring good to his people. Right worship does both of those things. That's why so much emphasis each week is placed on our Sunday corporate service. It's not just, okay, this is what we do on Sunday. Uh, check this box, check that box. Understand much thought, much prayer, much planning gets put into each one of these services so that God may be glorified, so that God may be worshiped in the way He wants to be worshiped. Let's not become complacent, church. Let's not com become complacent in our Sunday worship. But remain eager to worship rightly and to do good works in the name of Christ. And do all these things as we share the hope, teach the truth, and serve the King. Let's pray.